0: It's Brian Preston, the Money Guy. Restoring order to your financial chaos. Retirement, investing, taxes You've got financial
1: questions, he's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the Money Guy. Welcome to the Money Guy Show, guys. This is Brian Preston, your host. Been away for a few days. I'm going to share a few life things that have happened in the last few days and then also give you all some fun things that I want you to go check out our Facebook page to give us your input on, but um, let me tell you what today's show is going to be on before I give you the intro. Is this is actually going to be the title of the article we found in U.S. News is called "The Seven Biggest Money Mistakes College Grads Make." Now, if you're not a college grad, um, you're actually a person probably closer to retirement. I don't want you to cut this off. Don't worry, believe me, there are some good stories that I'm going to be sharing with you that I think will not only help the college college grad, but also help just anybody who deals with money. So guess what? That's about everybody out there. And it's also going to be something that I think if you are somebody who's past the college graduate status, um, if you, but you're still early and you're saving life, this is going to be good for you. If you're older and you have children who are in high school or maybe they're in college, you're going to want to listen to this because you can maybe give them some life coaching as well as maybe get them addicted to listening to something like this so that then they can make some good financial decisions in the future as well. But let me tell you, and this is for those of you who go to our Facebook web um, page, and just all you have to do is go to Facebook and type in Money Guy or Money Guy Show, The Money Guy Show up at the top. We usually show up pretty quickly right there um, on Facebook when you type in those things. And if you like it, please do like us because we mentioned this for the first time. We've only had this going for about two weeks now. We're already over 200 likes. I'd love to break a 1,000 um, very shortly. I think it would make me feel a lot better about what's going on here. And you guys have always been a big part of our success, and I want to keep that going. But we, we did get a preview of this article yesterday. So a few of you guys have a head start on what we're going to be talking about. You don't have the anecdotal information I'm going to be sharing. But um, we also... Let me, let me do the intro and then let me let me tell you the other things because I, I I don't want, I don't want to take away from what we got going here. But this is the Money Guy Show. If you want to go check us out, it's money-guy.com. You can also write the show. That's b r i a n at money-guy.com. And um, you can always sign up for our free. If you sign up right there on the website money-guy.com, you can sign up for our free service that blasts you whenever we do updates and also just keeps you updated. Lets you listen to a few more shows. And then if you do the premium section, you get access to all of our shows as well as our quarterly commentary and any other updates that we might put out there. So thank you, thank you for all that you guys have done. Anything, you know, the iTunes updates, everything has always made us be very relevant and it's helped us keep up with these big guys that have the big marketing budget. So let me tell you what's been going on in my life. First of all, had one of those curveballs that comes in randomly. My youngest daughter's been sick for the last few days, so we've actually been up at... um one of the children's hospitals in town everything's good it's just a little scary but you know how it is this is the worst part of parenting is when you know your little ones are sick so everybody around here knows we've been dealing with that i actually got a good night's sleep last night so that's why i'm back to being pretty much the normal brian bo can tell you i was in here what was that tuesday i think it was tuesday yeah before the bad episode where we had been up most of the night and i just basically went in my office and said y'all don't come talk to me too much today because i'm grumpy because that's how I am. When I, when I don't get much sleep, I get very grumpy. And three hours qualifies as not much sleep in the, in the Brian book. But while I was out of the office, um, my mother had planned this because we were all supposed to. I was going, taking the entire firm except for our, our receptionist up to the office to meet one of um, our clients. Because we had hired... You know, we've hired Nikki, who's who's now part of the team, and, and we had a meeting with our my very first client when I started this firm many, many years ago. So I consider this client kind of like family because she was the one that made the big jump when I, you know, had no business, you know, really running a firm yet. Since we didn't have software, we didn't have the technology to be doing this, but she believed so much in what we were doing, she made the jump with me from the big firm we were I was at. And um, I've always just been so appreciative, so I wanted to make sure she got to meet Nikki, our newest staff member. So I was taking um, Nikki up there where we were supposed to, and then we we had um, this sickness kick in. So my mom had planned to come in, and this is her idea, is that she decided she wanted to decorate parts of the office a little bit. So we have um, I, I, we've posted some pictures that I wanted to get your input. Now, I, I told you I love my mother very much, but my mom is kind of eclectic. Um, she's the one remember that I probably give her a lot of the credit for why I'm such a tightwad is because remember she's the one that pieced together a bunch of pieces of soap um, you know <laughs> used soap to make them into bars of soap and you know she was recycling before it became the cool thing to do in, in the world I mean if you think about it in those terms to save a little bit of money she used to go get those little slivers of soap and then melt them down and then pour them into a soap mold kind of really gross now that as I'm older and thinking about it but this is the same person, and she's um, done some decorating that was kind of unique on a few things. I like a lot of it, but maybe it's because I grew up in the household with my mom, and you know, I'm, I'm partial to it. But Bo and Nikki had some other thoughts on a few things, so I want y'all to, you know, kind of look at the Facebook pictures. Tell us what you think of some of the the tchotchkes. Is that what you'd say, Bo? I,
0: I guess I guess tchotchke would be a. a Perfect word of for Of some it. of the
1: things that mom had put on some of our furniture. So please go check that out. But let's talk about this podcast topic, because this is a good one. When I was going through here, my mind was just a wash of all these different ideas of things that have happened in my life that I think this would be very helpful. Now, this is titled, The Seven Biggest Money Mistakes College Grads Make. And they attributed this to, it was written by Kimberly Palmer. And I thought Kimberly did a great job. But it's also, a lot of the input in here is from Generation Earn. Um, It's called The Seven Mistakes and Their Solutions, Adapted from Generation Earn, The Young Professional's Guide to Spending, Investing, and Giving Back. And I know we are during the graduation season now. I know I'm going to be going through a high school graduation next week, and a lot of people are having to um, get ready. And life is different after graduation. It's one of those things that after graduation, you kind of are out there on your own. And that can be a scary thing, especially in this crazy world that we're in right now. So I want to go through these seven things. And what I'm going to do is I'm just going to read each one of them and then give input. And Bo, I want you to jump in too. So the number one thing that they had on here, the item number one, I should say, is taking on too much debt or not enough. And what it says is too much debt can weigh down recent grads, forcing them to spend more money on interest and fees than on fun activities and other goals. New credit card regulations make it harder for anyone under age 21 without their own income to take out cards of their own, which could make post-graduation overspending even more tempting. By the way, that's a big difference from when I was in college because when I was in college, I I think I've joked with you guys. I I used to be amazed at the lines of people to sign up outside a lot of the, the halls um, at college just to get a free bag of potato chips. Yeah. And, and I remember thinking, are you really signing up for a credit card for an 88 cent bag of potato chips? But they were, so it's kind of good to see that they're at least making it a little harder, um, than basically throwing credit cards a, a, as you walk to class each day. Um, it goes at the same time, the recent recession has led many young people to take the debt is bad message too literally avoiding loans altogether. However, um, that can hurt college grads as well. Sometimes some student loans for graduate school or a mortgage are good investments. Being responsible for credit accounts also allows 20-somethings to build their credit history, which is required if they want to take out a mortgage, auto loan, or any other type in the future. It says the solution. I do like articles that kind of give you their thoughts at the end. It says the solution. Build your credit history slowly and steadily by opening up accounts in your own name and paying them off on time. So here's my take. I'd written some notes here. I'm going, get, I'm going to tell you the story. I'm, not, I'm going to t- not give his name because I think, um, and Bo, you've heard me tell this story because it's, it's a good one. I'm not going to tell his, his name because I don't want to embarrass him. I don't think he listens to the podcast, so it's probably okay. Um, but um, I don't know that, why does that make it okay. But, uh, <laughs> but anyway, um, I graduated from University of Georgia with an accounting degree. Came out of school making in the mid to high 20s as a CPA, you know, as an accounting major, you know, sitting for the CPA exam right after graduation, was making mid 20s. Um, you can see how the world's changed. Maybe it hasn't changed. Actually, you know, maybe maybe that's what they're going for in this crazy economy. But it had gotten where college grads with accounting degrees were making in the mid 50s. I think before we had the downturn in the economy wasn't that way back in the in the 90s when I graduated college. Um, so in the mid-90s, going rate was in the, the mid to high 20s for, for an accounting major. The gentleman I'm going to talk to you about is from Dothan, Alabama. I tell you that because we have a saying about Dothan, Alabama. You can take the boy out of Dothan, but you can't take the Dothan <laughs> out of the boy. Um, so, so he graduates, and by the way, he went to Auburn University. This is not a University of Georgia graduate. This is an Auburn University because I have a lot of friends that went all over the place. So um, he went to, to you know, I, I met him through my friends that went to Auburn. I used to go to Auburn and visit a lot of those guys a, a good bit. He graduated. Now, he got a job right out of school for one of the big computer companies, and he was making in the low to mid-50s. In the So you, I, the reason I tell you my salary and then tell you his is because he's making essentially twice what I was making when he graduated. So this was huge money back in the mid-90s. So he was making in the 50s, when I'm making in the 20s, and this is not, you know, co- remember we have inflation and cost of living, things are a little different. So that was a lot of money back then. That'd probably be the equivalent now of somebody coming out of college making mid 60s to 70s. Right, yeah, absolutely. would not you think that's, that's right, Bo? Absolutely. So he graduates college, and what does he go out and do with his, his brand new money? I, I know the answer. He goes out and buys him a T Top Camaro, <laughs> brand new T Top Camaro. And I remember when he showed up with this T-top Camaro. Camaros haven't been cool for me since high school, by the way, but that's a a whole other thing. I'm so glad I didn't get that Camaro in high school. My parents would never given me one anyways. They would have said it was too fast. But he got this T-top Camaro, and this is the first thing that I knew things were going to go bad for him. He brings this thing home, and and it's a pretty car. It's a bright red, of course, T-tops. He goes and gets insurance put on this thing. The insurance cost is more than the cost of the car. Unbelievable. And, you know, and of course he finances this thing. And this is the other part that I didn't like. He had a paid-off Ford Ranger at the time. You know, this is, he had a Ranger that his parents had given him in college, completely paid for, low miles. Um, it, was, it was a great car, good car. Nothing wrong with that when you're a single individual and you're just starting out. He traded that in, so it was paid off. He used that as his down payment. Well, now his insurance was more than the car payment. He got to where he couldn't afford really what was going on because the, the insurance cost was killing him. Um, the, the car payment was expensive. So he decided he needed to get rid of this thing. So he traded in the brand-new Camaro only after probably less than six months' worth of ownership because he was getting killed. And this is when you know you've ended up and made a bad financial choice. As we, I remember we went to a Georgia Tech football game because I had another friend that graduated from Georgia Tech. And we were going to a Georgia Tech football game. Don't, no comments for all my Bulldogs that are listening. There's nothing wrong with going to other people's games if you're invited by a friend. But, and I remember we were in the car that this individual had traded in his Ford Ranger, paid for Ford Ranger, for the T-top Camaro. He couldn't afford the T-top Camaro, so he traded that in for this used Acura Legend that was probably well over 10 years old at this point, well over 100,000 miles. And I can remember we were sitting at a stoplight. And we see smoke everywhere, and we look around, and I'm trying not to say his name because it's still kind of one of those funny. Questions. Right, dude, your car is on fire. I mean, this thing had caught on fire. And I'm just, I'm just telling you, this is. What, so when I read this article about taking on too much debt or making bad decisions, because that's what it, it's really talking about, you know, doing things too fast. Just because, and another thing I would say is, you come out of school making fifty grand. 40 grand, 30 grand, whatever it is. Well, I think the problem that a lot of people do is that they divide that by twelve. They use kid math is what right. they do. And I used to do this when I was a kid when I wanted a go-kart or a trampoline for the backyard. I kind of knew what my dad made for a living. I used to divide that by the cost of it, be like, God, Dad could buy me 30 of those. Why doesn't he buy me one of those? He can afford 30 of them. That's what I think a lot of college graduates do. They do kid math on on their lifestyle too. They take what they're going to be making, divide it by 12, and they go, I'm rich. What they don't realize, you got Social Security, Medicare, plus you got to pay your health insurance, plus you got to pay your federal and state taxes. And after it's all said and done, you don't really get to keep much of it after it's all done. And, you know, and then after you pay your rent, your utilities, and all those things, not much is left over for doing some of these fun things that you originally thought. So be careful. Don't get, cu- get caught up in that, that kid math. Bo, before we go on to two, did you have anything you You, wanted to share? Yeah,
0: I was going to throw in one thing, and I think it is kind of interesting, Brian. I think that your generation coming through probably um, was, was really bad about racking up a whole lot of debt, whether it be on cars and credit card stuff. What I've noticed is that you almost can't turn on the news in the morning without seeing someone come on talking about how bad debt is. And, you know, Dave Ramsey is very much against debt. And so I think that my generation has come up, and debt has kind of been this bad word. Um, and so what I've seen is kind of on the exact opposite. A lot of my friends who are graduating from college don't have any credit history, so they're having a lot of trouble even getting their first credit card. And, you know, it, it's hard to even function in today's society without having some sort of credit out there. Um, so what I'm seeing is that on the other side of that, the not having enough credit. So one thing that you can do as parents, if you do have maybe high school aged, getting ready for college, or just starting out in college children, you may want to talk to them about opening up some sort of student credit card. The first thing I did is I went to the local bank where I had a checking account, and I said, hey, I need a student card. Opened it up when I was a sophomore in college, built two or three years of credit history, and then when I got out, I was able to go um, you know, do the things I needed to do, purchase a home, purchase a car, because I'd established that history. Um, I think that if, if you start out with a clean slate right when you start working, you're going to kind of be a little bit
1: behind the curve. Uh, but remember, the secret there is pay it off every month. That's, absolutely, that's the, that's absolutely. Because I do... I, I, I'm curious if this generation is seeing all this stuff and, and, they, and they're, not, they're scared of debt, how good are we going to be in 20 or 30 years if they don't have this addiction to debt that we've had with my group? So, right. so it is kind of interesting to see what happens. Point two. This one was kind of good, and I'm going to kind of tell you what I found to be a secret of life coming up. Becoming a victim to rapid lifestyle inflation. It says, number two, you're a recent college grad, so that means you probably need a new car, a new apartment, maybe a new sofa, and a new, wait a minute, not only do you not need all these things, you probably won't appreciate them much either. A little theory called the hedonic treadmill explains why. We adapt all too quickly to improvements in our lifestyle. That 60-inch television you drooled over, I don't know why I had trouble saying drool. The 60-inch television you drooled over at Best Buy will soon start blending in with the rest of your furniture along with your top-of-the-line coffee maker and pillow-top mattress. The solution, instead of using your first paycheck to make your new digs look like the sitcom set, spread out your purchases over time. Maybe you need a bed right away, but that embroidered duvet cover for (laughs) Pottery Barn can wait. That's a good point. And and kind of what I would written down, I realized this is what what I attribute kind of to my own personal success is I caught on really quick at a young age that the easiest way to lose the shiny, cool factor of an item is to own it. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of truth to this. And I'll, I'm going to tell you where I realized it was as a kid, and this is, I'm going to go back in time for you, Bo, back before we had iTunes and your ability, if you liked the song, you just go pay 99 cents for it. Right. Back when I was younger, if you liked the song and you wanted to have it in your car and listen to it and, and you didn't want to go buy the full LP, you know, the full album, uh, or the cassette, what? you, would, you C- would...
0: Cassette, what's, what's that? <laughs> yeah, what, what's you, one that of those? That would be funny.
1: So at 8 o'clock at night, most of the local radio stations do the top five at 8. So what you do is, is you get your tape deck or your stereo system at home, your hi-fi stereo system, <laughs> and you sit there and wait until 8 o'clock comes around, and you make a mixtape, essentially, of your favorite <laughs> songs, and you wait for the DJ to play that top five so you can record that song. And I remember being so mad... Whenever the stupid DJ would talk over the track, you know, because they can fade down the music, talk into it, and do an introduction in their cool DJ DJ voice, it ruins your mixtape when they do that stuff. So this is before, and I realized that this is this is the point of the story. I realized whenever I recorded these songs and I could listen to them at my, you know, whenever I wanted to. Now all of a sudden that song wasn't as interesting That's to exactly me. Exactly right. I didn't get as excited about that song because now I own that song. I could play it as much as I wanted to. And, and life is that way. I can still remember we got a pool table as a kid because my, somebody owed my dad some money. That sounded kind of Tony Soprano-ish, didn't it? <laughs> you know, somebody owed my dad some money, so he got this pool table. Might believe me, I think my, my dad's problem was he had too big of a heart, and probably and he was a tightwad, too, so people knew he always had cash on hand, so they'd borrow money from him, and I guess he'd take payment through pool tables. But we had a pool table as a kid, and I remember being so excited about that pool table, but then after owning it for a while, and pool wasn't that cool anymore because you know we we own the pool table. I used to go to a friend's house that had a pool table. And I used to love it; think it was the coolest thing in the world. I remember my dad was a district manager um, before he you know before that industry kind of ceased to exist. And we used to, he used to be in charge of a place in Augusta, a, a location in Augusta. We used to load up the entire family to go over to this location two or three times in a summer. In Augusta, and we'd stay at the Holiday Inn, and I thought it was the coolest thing in the world because it had a swimming pool and it had HBO TV. That's where I watched Clash of the Titans like thirty times one summer, you know, because it came on and on. And now these things are just normal, right? Because we own them, you know. It's easy. anybody, you know, every neighborhood has a pool, and then you know, see, kids get. I worry about that with my kids tremendously, but that's why I tell you, you have to be very careful that there is something to the, the. It's just like what is a nice house to me now is different than what a nice house was to me when I graduated. So if you can realize very quickly at a young age, this inflation of life, um, or, or lifestyle inflation, as they put it in this article, you'll be much better off because you're not going to buy yourself happiness with these things, so I'd be very careful with that. Bo, you have any insight before we go on to three?
0: I was just going to point in there that, you know, it's for small items, like pool table, but it also comes in, you know, later in life, second homes, people who really want to go buy a beach house or a lake yeah. house, turns out to be more of a burden than anything else. Um, you know, it's just think, things you want to think about. How, how much do you really need that second home. Is that really going to add to, to kind of what it is you're hoping to accomplish?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, it's funny. We, I had a CPA buddy of mine. We own um, a vacation property down in Florida on the beach together. We bought it. He, he had a client who got in a lot of financial trouble. We got the deal of a lifetime. At the time, we thought it was a deal of a lifetime because we got a three-bedroom place for the price of a one-bedroom. Well, now the market has come down to where we are. And we were talking the other day, you know, we wish we wouldn't have done that transaction. And he was saying kind of the same thing. So Bo was right on. You know, these vacation homes, other things. Think about really why you're making these decision. Is that really going to make your life better? And I, I try to always put myself in that mindset, uh, you know, before we make any big purchases like that. It talks about falling into bad money habits. It says weekly. $20 happy hours, daily $15 lunches, and nightly takeout are just a few of the bad habits that eat into new grads' bank accounts. While the occasional lapse isn't a problem, repeatedly wasting money on a weekly basis for years will cost you big time. It says the solution Learn to cook by enlisting the help of friends, family members, or your favorite celebrity chef via the food network. The habit can save you hundreds, if not thousands, of dollars a year, and turn your home into a popular destination for friends. It's a skill that lasts a lifetime. Now, I don't—I think that's great advice to a degree, but if I had a bunch of my friends over, it would probably be cheaper to go out deep because I have a <laughs> lot of friends. No offense, that you know they're going to mooch off of your drinks. Right, they're going to mooch right. off. So I guess you got to make sure that you give them the BYOB, um, and then make them bring a covered dish too, if you really want this to be a money-saving endeavor. But what I had put down for three, I never had this problem. And, and Bo was sharing a story with me this morning. And I think it, it, it's, it's just the personality and mindset. And I think a lot of you guys probably can relate to what's going on with Bo and myself is that is you will find no matter how much money you make, you're, probably, you're not as tightwattish as you were, but respective to peers in your income class or asset level, you are still a tightwad. That's wad. exactly you're right. Not a, you're not a tightwad <laughs> to, like, I think Bo sees how I spend money, and he thinks Brian's not a tightwad anymore, but if he goes and compares how I'm spending money to other people who are in my net worth and income bracket, he'll see they think I'm super tight because <laughs> I am, I'm the one that is causing trouble when you know when when we go to places right. and things like that because I'm always watching <laughs> things. And and here's what I want to give you the kind of the other perspective for the young person because this is what I found – this is kind of the cheapskates or tight wads way of looking at things. I can remember back before we went to, uh, we knew we were going out with three or four couples. And, and I'm going to give you some life advice after I tell you this. Um, but we used to go out for three or four couples. And what I would do before we went to a nice restaurant or someplace that, that I knew the food was going to be, you know, greater than $10 for an entree, I'd eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich before we went out. Now, that wasn't enough food to fill me up. But it was enough money for me to, when I opened up the menu and it had a $12 calamari or some other appetizer, I, if I had a peanut butter and jelly on my stomach, $12, I'd be like, no way. Because i got a peanut butter and jelly on my stomach. I can wait until I get my main entree. Whereas if you go into a restaurant hungry, completely hungry, it's kind of like going to the grocery store completely right. hungry. You're going to end up buying a lot more than you intended to. So I used to prime the pump by eating a peanut butter and jelly sandwich at the house before I went out with these people. So that was kind of my tight watch thing. And then, you know, and I, Bo, you made me change the terminology on this to make it a little more PC. But the the other thing I used to do is um, we do what's called pregame, is that if I knew we were going out with um, friends to, to go to a place and there'd be drinks ordered or something like that, I would try to, and I wouldn't do this by myself, we'd either meet at a location, meet at a friend's house first before we went out. You try to have a few drinks before you go out so you don't have to order drinks at the restaurant. Exactly because right. Because that, that's the type of stuff that, from a tightwad perspective, it saves you a lot of money. Now, I'm, I told this to Bo and, and, and Nikki when we were doing the pre-show conference kind of on, on what we're going to be talking about today. That works pre-30. <laughs> because I think it's okay pre-30 when you go out with a group of people to be on separate tickets or to really break it up by what people spend. But if you do that once you break 30 people start looking at you and really giving you a hard time about um, doing the bill. Cause I'll tell you what happens now when we, like we were just down in Miami a few weeks back um, you go out to eat and the bill comes, you count how many couples there are, you divide it by that number and that's what you pay it. And if you get mad that, you know, you got your drink at, you're there with a bunch of fish who are drinking all these adult beverages and you've only had one um, you have a choice. You can start ordering a lot more appetizers and order in the more expensive entree, or you have to drink more. So, you know, because you really, it's hard to ask people to break the bill up right. once you get to a certain point in life. And that's what, it, but I think under 30, it's very, I think, it, I still think it's okay to say, I don't want to split the bill evenly. Because right. especially, it reminds me of that Friends episode. Um, I don't know if you ever saw that one yeah. where where, you know, they're, they're living, you know, very modestly, and meanwhile Chandler and some of the others are ordering big things right. because they're making a lot more money, and, and you also have to worry about, a lot of kids will pretend they have success even though they really don't, so. That's uh, that's what I'm seeing a lot of right now, at least in my peer group, is, is more of that. Uh, and one of, you know, when we've had, y'all, you and Nikki were talking about how you all have friends that have said, you've said, let's go out and do something, and nope, can't do it, I gotta wait until I get paid next, you know, who are living paycheck to paycheck, um, Number four, waiting to save and invest. Surely you don't feel like you have extra money yet, and you're still getting used to seeing your name on a paycheck. But that makes it the perfect time to start saving at least one quarter of your income for future goals, including retirement. The first priority is to establish an emergency savings account with at least three months' worth of expenses that you can go through any unexpected bumps from unemployment to a car accident. Then start saving for retirement. If your employer offers any type of 401k matching program, take advantage of it. Passing up is like saying no to a pay increase. Then open an after-tax savings account for your other goals from traveling to home ownership. I have to flip the page here on the iPad, so I'm, I'm waiting for it to load. And then it, it continues on and says, The best bet or the solution If saving any money seems daunting, start by funneling a modest 2% of your income into a high-yield savings account or money market fund. Then slowly raise that percentage. Once you have your three-month emergency fund stored away, consider investing a portion of your long-term savings and low-fee index funds and other more aggressive investment vehicles. So I thought that was good, too, is because everybody needs to start saving. And this is what I've always thought. If we can get our young people to understand this, In college, I could make $10 do amazing things. I mean, $10 could get me drinks for a night plus pay for dinner. I mean, you really could. In a college town, it could work. So then to go from that, when I was making mid-20s, I'm not going to lie, I did think I was making pretty good money at that time. Even though it's not great money, it still felt like a lot more money because I didn't have a lot of money in college. So it, it was one of those things. So I will tell you, we had a prospect meeting um, from a podcast listener, I know he's probably going to listen to this show, I'm not going to give his name because I don't want to embarrass him and I think he's coming on board, but he said something that hit me pretty hard in, in our thing, he said, I realized at 23 um, how powerful saving was and I've just been saving ever since then, you know, and he said that, he's very successful now um, in, in his early 40s and I, that kind of grabbed me because that's kind of exactly the way I was, I read the, the wealthy barber book, while I was in the last part of my college career, and it just hit me so hard that I was just like, wow, I could do this. I could, I could start saving money. I could do, you know, I could, I could start saving. I, I don't, I'm not from money, but I could definitely have money by doing these things. So the power of starting early is very, very, I mean, it, it, it can change your life. It can change your future. I've used this on many podcasts, but I'm going to, I haven't done it in a few months, so let me update you. There's a slide that we use in every 401k and retirement presentation we do. It's called The Advantage of Starting Early. And what it does is, is it takes two, scenario, two separate people. It takes, say you have two friends that are college friends, and one comes out of college and says, I'm going to start immediately saving $2,000 a year, but I'm only going to do this for nine years, meaning that from age 22 to really the end of my 30th year, right before my 31st birthday, I'm going to save $2,000 a year. So they're going to invest $18,000 at 9% interest. What would that account be worth at 65? Well, if you started at 22, but you only contributed for nine years, and right as you were about to turn 31, you, you quit saving, didn't save another dime, you would have $579,471. That, that, that's a decent amount of money. Think about it if you kept saving. But um, I think for the illustration purposes, you have your other friend, who's maybe from Dothan, Alabama, who comes out and they say, you know what? Not going to save. I'm going to wait. You know, I've been studying. I've been going to college. I deserve to reward myself now. And then I'll start saving later. You know, so let's wait until I get into my 30s. So they wait and they don't start saving until they're 31 years of age. They wait that first nine years out of college. Don't save the $2,000. So they invest $70,000. So they save for 35 years, $2,000 a year, versus the friend that only invested $18,000. So that's, that's a tremendous, that's a $52,000 savings difference. Who do you think has more money? The one that saved 70000 had to put in $70,000, or the friend that started immediately after college and only put in eighteen. Now, Bo, I know you know the answer. The answer is the friend who started um, first has 579471 So right at, five, you know, close to 580000 the friend who saved $70,000 and did it for 35 years, but they just waited nine years before they did it, they only have $470,000. So there's a $109,000 difference between those two people just because they started early. So power of compounding interest really is a powerful thing. And, and I know 9% sounds crazy to you guys right now because we've been through a downturn in the economy. I think probably your generation does not appreciate the power of equities and other things because they've seen how bad things are. But historically, and, you know, don't count against, you know, innovation and other things that are going to go on. I think it is very reasonable to think that you could still get something like that.
0: If you if you do it early and you make it automatic, you really you really won't notice that it's going on. One quick story is I have a family member who recently, um, she started working in a new job in January, and um, she asked me to look at her retirement plan. She had a Roth 401k option and a regular option, and they match dollar for dollar up to 4%. So I went in there and looked, and what she had done is she would accidentally set it up so she was doing 4% to the pre-tax, but also 4% to the Roth. And she didn't realize she was doing 8%. And so I said, you know, Casey, is there? you know you're doing 8%. Are you tight? She's like, no. I was like, well, then do you just want me to make all 8% of this Roth? She said, well, sure, why not? And, it's, it's, you know, had she thought about that before, she probably would have realized that was an extra, you know, 100 bucks of pay period that she was missing out on. Um, but because she didn't even notice it, she didn't miss it. That's great. And I and think that's, that's a, a great way to, uh, to look at these things.
1: And think about what's going to happen for her down the road. That accidental oversaving is going to be one of those accidental things that might actually change her life. That's in the exactly future. right. That, that, that's incredible. Um, number five on this list it said fall, failing to negotiate for a higher salary. Now, This one, I didn't know if I agreed with, being that I'm an employer, and I'll tell you what my <laughs> thoughts on it. It says, even in this economy, employers expect some haggling over salary and benefits. In fact, doing so is a sign of professionalism that shows you, a recent college grad, understand how the working world works. A simple request after expressing enthusiasm and appreciation for the job can eventually lead to hundreds of thousands of dollars more in a lifetime. Hmm. This is Linda Babcock of Carnegie... Mellon University calculates that not negotiating your first job offer can result in a loss of up to $1.5 million in lifetime earnings. That's a big number that I would not have expected. I don't know if I agree because, I mean, we'll talk about it. Hang on, let's read their solution. Practice your job offer conversation before receiving any potential offers so you're ready to land a better deal. And research your field ahead of time so you know what to expect the salary really is fixed, consider focusing on other benefits, which can wor- be worth as much as a third of the salary. But that job seekers often overlook. What are the health care benefits, retirement account perks, vacation days, work-at-home flexibility? Decide what's important to you and get ready for some professional haggling. She usually just takes one round of back and forth. <laughs> Bodie, I can see you have something to say. Go ahead.
0: I would say that I agree with that, however... And I'm going to put on my economist hat real fast. At the end of the day, it comes down to simple labor supply and labor demand. So if there is an oversupply of labor, which is what we have right now with roughly 10% unemployment, the demand isn't going to be there because you're kind of easily replaceable. Um, so I don't know. A- a- at this point...
1: I think an entry-level, brand-new job out of co- college, it's, it's a little harder um, I know you, you saw. We interviewed a lot of people right. before we found Nikki, and I, I, I don't think the money was really the problem. I think that it's like you said. There are a lot of people out there. Here's the only thing I would encourage young people to think about, because this is the only thing that really frustrated me, is that a lot of the big, big employers, they do this for you. And just pay attention on, on on how they work, is that they can pay a lot of money on the initial entry place. They can pay right. more than a lot of their peers but you're probably going to be stuck in a life of cost of living um, increases in your salary. I mean, you might get 2%, 3%, you know, and that's it. But they gave you a lot of money up front because they can afford to. They're big. They have deep wallets. They can, they can pay you more. What disappoints me is when I see young people making decisions over a firm that will offer them $3,000 to $4,000 more initially, not thinking about what is this job opportunity for me two, three, four, five years into the future, because um, I've seen so many people go take jobs that I felt like weren't perfect for them just because they paid $2,000 more than what they currently wanted to right. do. Um, not thinking that, hey, that job that maybe was paying me two thousand would have paid me $2,000 less might be paying me 30% more five years from now than that job that's only going to give me 3% cost of living, if even that. They might do a salary freeze and not even give you any more money. And I see a lot of kids not making... Decisions on the long term, they're basically only focusing on the short right. term of what can you do for me right now. Look at the long term prospects of what's going to happen. I, I see that with um, college too. When I'm talking to young adults that are in college, I ask them what their major is, and when they tell me that you know, like I know Jennifer before she met me, she was dating a guy who's who, who was who was getting a, a degree. Nothing wrong with getting a minor in this, but a degree in sculpture. Huh. You know, you know, as he was part an art major with sculpture what what type of job are you going to get with a with a degree in making sculptures i mean it just doesn't seem like a a lot of you know marketable stuff so i would just say you know think i always think that you have to have that long-term mindset when you're making decisions so that's why i would encourage if you do have young people that you can provide guidance on or even yourself if you're thinking about changing careers don't look at just what the paycheck is today think 5 years down the road is this going to be – am I on the ground floor of something that's going to be tremendous, and maybe I can make a lot of money from that? Um, asking for – I mean, I don't know how it would have felt if, if you or Nikki would have asked for more money. I, I, of course, I think Bo will tell you I've had a different mentality on that. I try to pay my people very well so that they – our entry-level job – I mean, our starting salaries are not great but we give very good pay increases here if you prove yourself. you know, Don't you agree, Bill? A-
0: absolutely, 100%. And I think just like everything else in life, there, there's an absolute risk-reward. You take a little bit of risk on the front end, maybe making a little bit less than your peers, taking maybe a pay cut even to change careers, um, but the reward in the long end will more than pay for that, that small difference on the front end.
1: And, and I've had people, because I get a lot of emails from you guys out there saying, how do I get into doing what you're doing for a living? I want to be a financial advisor, and I've had people who've approached me with that question who are in their 30s, you know, making okay money in the field they're in, but they're miserable. And I always tell them, you're going to have to go work. I, I say, you know, if, you're not, if you don't come from a family where you have a lot of connections in the money world, meaning a lot of affluent friends for, with your family and, and connections in life, you know, you need to go work for a firm so you can figure out how this business works and where you're not counting on having to come up with business. And a lot of people in their 30s, they, the thought of them starting over and taking essentially a step down to take that long term step up right. scares the heck out of them, especially when you got families and that sort well, of thing. Well, this one, like I, I remember, I had a case, um, a person coming out of the military that um, you know was in their thirties, wanted to do it. I, I gave them the advice: go work for a firm like ours, go to a fee only firm, go to a conference, get to know somebody in the industry. You have to start low, but then you know, five six years down the road, you're going to hopefully be able to start building a, your own clients get more responsibility from the firm. You'll be making the money that you want to be making, but it's going to take a five to six year time investment to do that. They didn't want to do it. Now they've churned through some of these places that will promise you, hey, you can make six figures immediately, but what do they want you to do? They want you to go out there and sell and push products. That's, um, you know, I don't know if that's, that's the ideal thing. So um, think about long-term, having that long-term mindset can be very powerful. Okay, number six, we're getting close to the end here because I know we're running over 30 minutes at this point. Thinking you're done studying. Sure, you have your degree, but unless you attend one of the few schools that teach personal finance, you probably know relatively little about how to build wealth. That makes the post-graduation period the ideal time to start take matters into your own hands. This is a solution. Look for ways to learn more about smart personal financial strategies. This doesn't have to be boring. A dozen of blogs, websites, and books make learning about money fun. And many local community colleges and universities offer personal finance courses for local professionals. You might also want to consider forming a money club with friends in which you meet once a month to talk about your money questions, goals, and research. Um, hey, you guys are already a step ahead. You're listening to The Money Guy Show. So we are part of that new creative generation of you know using social media, podcasting, and other things to, to learn more and create essentially a community for you to have resources to do better with your money. I'd also encourage you... The book that changed my life. I know it's old school, but it's, um, you know, The Wealthy Barber. Bo, I see it back there. Don't I see it on the books? Yeah. Who's the, who's the author for it's, that? It's
0: David Chilton.
1: Yeah, David Chilton. Great book. You know, it, it reads like a storybook, but that, that will get you motivated. Bo, did you have any insight that you wanted to give on, um, you know, the, the whole studying? The,
0: the, the one thing I would say is this, this is talking about more about learning about personal finance when you first get started. Another thing I would say is that if you're entering into a field where you can really advance your education, like the finance field... Um, where you can go get designations such as the CFP, CPA, CFA, CLU, all these different designations. If your field offers something like that, go ahead and do it while you're young because what will happen is, is if you get that knowledge and kind of build up that pedigree, it will make up for the lack of experience that you have, and there's not going to be an easier, better time to go do that stuff than right after college because I, I imagine it's much harder to do in your 40s and
1: 50s. Yeah, and that's well, you, exactly right. Is That's the thing is that I, I was very fortunate – I did exactly what you're talking about. I got a lot of these credentials when I was young because I was trying to make up for... I have a very baby face. When I was 30, I think I still looked probably 23. Right. Maybe a lot of you, based upon the Facebook comments and um, focusing on Bo's good looks, <laughs> um, you know, proving me right on that. But we, um, I, I'm glad I did it young because I'll tell you right now, I'm struggling. I would love to go get my MBA, my master's, because I, what I want to do... It's eventually teach at the college level, I would love to help other professionals, young, other people who want to do this for a living. I think you can tell I have that educator's heart. Um, I want to help other people learn how to do this for a living, and I'd love to do that at a college level. And when I've talked to, because we're very involved with the University of Georgia program, they said I need to be one step above the people I'm teaching. Well, guess what? I have a bachelor's of business administration in accounting, right. a BBA. Doesn't give me that high enough level. I'm hoping I do enough stuff industry wise keep you know grabbing enough pieces of the pie and enough industry notoriety that maybe they'll overlook that, but right. it's one of those I can't do it with two kids and running a growing business. there's just not enough time being on the school board, being on all these foundations that we work with. It's impossible to um have enough hours in the day to to have a balanced life to go back to college. so I completely agree with you, Bo go do that stuff while you're young, while you have time. I know you don't want to because you just got through studying. Why do you want to go do more studying? But it really is the smart time to do it because once you get to be in your mid thirties, going into your forties and you have a family, there's just not enough hours in the day to get all that type of stuff to better yourself really built in. So um, great advice, Bo, on that. Number seven, the last one, getting buried in paperwork. There's no avoiding the fact that being an adult comes with some secretarial duties. Suddenly, you have pay stubs, health insurance forms, tax documents, and credit card statements to keep organized. It's easy to let them build up until you just want to shred the pile and toss it in the trash. The solution, take advantage of modern technology by getting paperless whenever possible. Online accounts are easier to manage and a bonus better for the environment. New websites such as shoebox.com keep your receipts organized online, which is especially helpful at tax time. Mint.com, I actually use that one, makes it easy to track your spending and establish a budget. The bottom line, adding, getting on top of your finances to the list of things to do after graduation day and try to make it at least as fun as cleaning out your dorm room. So let's talk about the, the, the thing of getting buried in paperwork. I am not a super neat person. but can go test that by looking at my office. But I have found systems that I can create to keep me organized in places that I need to be organized. And finances is one of them. I'll tell you some things I use. I use PayTrust.com. It's owned by Intuit, which is the company that does Quicken, TurboTax, and all that. But they also own PayTrust, which is a bill pay service where all my bills are sent to South Dakota. And I get a nice disc at the end of the year that has all my scanned bills in. But it also helps me automate the bill paying process. All my credit card bills, all my utilities. um, It really makes my life a lot easier. Also, for health insurance, as we're going more to health savings accounts and things like that, is, um, there are services. Another Intuit company, you know, they're, they're, but built-in. I know United Healthcare uses Quicken Health Expense Tracker um, as an added option. That's usually free, built-in with your, you know, with your insurance company. That will allow you to help process those claims and keep up with what you're paying. So when you do your taxes, you know exactly what to put on that Schedule A to see if it's deductible. So. Those type of things, there are ways with technology that you can automate the process.
0: And again, I'll throw in here, it it doesn't get any easier as you get older. Actually, just yesterday, I had a state representative sitting in my office, and he asked me, he said, you know, how do you guys track budgeting? How can you, do you have some sort of system we can bring everything in one place? And and I shared with him mint.com, and here he is, uh, you know, a successful businessman who who had never heard of that. And I'm sure he would attest that that's something he wishes he would have started doing in in his early 20s because it becomes easy once you start it early.
1: Yeah, I found that Mint.com, what I like since it actually downloads is every time you go into it on my, like I use it on the iPhone, it um, immediately downloads all your local transactions. I found that that is actually easier for me now on the go to see when I want to see if checks have cleared and other things have cleared. It's easier for me to use Mint.com than it is to go through the the, the website for the company because it automatically starts updating things instantaneously. So I hope that's helpful. Um, I know we had a lot of, you know, front-end stuff there, but I do hopefully get your input. Hope you give us some, you know, feedback on the Facebook site. Are we doing everything you're hoped to on that to give you a little more exposure and, and kind of behind-the-curtain look at what's going on here at the Money Guys show? We also appreciate any feedback y'all can put on iTunes. And just thank you for being who you guys are. Y'all have made us successful, and we never are are, are going to forget that. I mean, you really, our success is on the backs of what you guys and you telling your friends. And that's what we hope this Facebook is going to allow. Some people who don't know about the Money Guy Show, maybe they'll see that you like it, and they might get excited. And then we're hoping we can change the financial world through good financial management. So check us out in two weeks. Bo, did you want to say anything to close it out I I
0: was going to say one thing. With it being graduation week, I have a, a couple of friends who just graduated this past week. One thing I did is because we have a link to this article out on the Facebook page, I just went and posted on their Facebook wall, Hey, guys, you might want to check out the, the Money Guy Show website. There's a great article out there. Um, you just graduated. Congratulations. Read this. And, you know, if, you know, if you know some recent grads, maybe go share
1: the article with them as well. It, it is one of those things. You start early. Saving can be a good habit. It can, you can get addicted to it. You never hear about the addiction of savings because they usually only talk about the addictions on Dr. Phil if, you know, for eating, debt, and other things like that because it, it's a negative addiction. This is a good addiction. So if you get addicted to saving money, the only place you go to hear about that talked about is when you're on the front page for being an industry changer. So, so do the good things you need to to really you know, move the mountains that can happen if you start early enough and make good financial decisions. Go check us out, money-guy.com. I'm your host, Brian Preston. I'll talk to you in about two weeks. The Money Guy podcast is hosted by Brian Preston, and Brian Preston is a partner with Preston & Cleveland
0: Wealth Management.